The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at www.overlandpark.cc. We're taking a little bit of a, well, not a little bit, we're taking a break from our uh, series, uh, Kingdom. We're in Acts chapter 3, so I'd encourage you to be reading that this week as we'll begin unpacking it uh, beginning again next week. We thought we would take a little bit of a break and do a Memorial Day Q&A. Okay, so who said woo? <laughs> Thank you for that encouragement. Uh, and so, uh, you, you know, we have a lot of folks traveling today, and so we're doing the service a little bit different, didn't have our kids' ministry going on uh, and things of that nature. And, and so anticipated a smaller crowd, and, and lo and behold, all these visitors showed up, and here we're doing a, a Q&A, and I'm, I'm wondering what in the world have I got myself into. So here's the way this works. This is not stump the pastor, Okay. That's not what we're doing, so don't, please don't uh, try to stump the pastor, uh, Preston. You wouldn't be able to anyway. <laughs> now, somebody else might, but Preston, uh, okay. Uh, so anyway, I, I will kind of ask, I've got a couple of prepared questions, and if, if nobody asks a question, I've got enough to fill uh, the content of questions I've been asked over the years as a pastor, being a ministry um, for, you know, uh, approaching three decades now, long time. Uh, and so I've taught the word for a long time and been asked a lot of different questions. And, and so I'll, I'll throw out a couple here and then I'll see if anybody has one. If not, I'll jump back in uh, to some of mine. I think so, some of the ones that I have for you are, are pretty interesting. But, but one I'll start with is, why should I pray if God knows everything? That's a good question. Like, what, like why, why even pray if God already, if God is sovereign and he's, omniscient and he knows everything, what good does it do for me to pray because God already knows what I'm going to talk to him about? Well, that's a, a misunderstanding of the, what prayer is designed for. Like, what, why did God give us prayer? Why did Jesus tell us uh, to pray in the Bible? Prayer is not designed to change God. It's designed to change you. And so I think that one of the reasons that we, we have this question is that in America, we, you know, the movie has come out, Aladdin. I haven't seen it. It's just open, but that's the way we treat God. It's like a genie in the bottle. We have wishes. We have desires. And if we ask God for those things, then he will grant us our desires. And that's, that's the wrong concept of God. God is not a genie serving us. We are part of his kingdom, and we serve him. And so he is not there to serve us. We are there uh, to serve him. And so we are the ones that are seeking to change. We're not seeking to change God. As a matter of fact, God cannot change. Um, he uh, never changes. And so the goal of prayer is to talk to God so that we can be comforted while he's shaping us. So God is taking us on a journey and we go through different things in life. We go through highs, we go through lows, we go through ups and downs. We go through good news, and we rejoice, and we're to pray in that. We go through bad news and we learn that we're sick or someone that we love is sick and we are to um, rejoice in that and be comforted in that by God as we seek to have a relationship with him and talk to him in prayer. Paul says this in Colossians chapter 1 verse 10, and we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way bearing fruit in every good work growing in the knowledge of God. 
And so Paul is saying, look, we're in our prayer, we're thinking about how we grow, how we bear fruit, how we are stretched in all of the things that God has taken us through. So the question is, why should you pray if God knows everything? Because God knows everything and you don't. Amen? That's why you should pray. Is that God does know everything and we don't know everything. And so we're connecting with him and he's helping us along uh, in the journey as we're seeking out uh, what his desire is for us for our lives. So I'll, I'll do one more and then I'll see if we have any from the audience again. Uh, and I may not be able to answer your question. And if I can't, I'll say, whoa, that one's a little heavy and we don't have time to, to dive into that today. It would take the whole talk. And so I, I will be uh, authentic with you in that. And, and I'm, I don't have all the answers, okay? So here's the second question we'll deal with. I think this is a good one. Why do you preach that hell is eternal punishment rather than death of the Spirit, when the Bible refers to hell as death and heaven as eternal life? Wouldn't John 3.16 insinuate that hell is death and eternal life only exists in heaven? Even a million years of punishment for 70 years or so of sin seems against God's fair nature, much less than an eternity of torture. It's a great question. C.S. Lewis um, is uh, famous for quoting, there's no doctrine that I would more willingly remove from Christianity than the doctrine of hell, okay? Like it's not one that, it's not one that a preacher even likes to deal with, but I, as I teach through the scripture, as we're doing in, in the book of Acts, and we come, it's there, and so we have to deal with what the scripture tells us is the truth. And so we find it, it makes us uncomfortable because it's hard to imagine a loving God who would punish people for eternity. And so the question alludes to John chapter 3, verse 16. So I think it would uh, be wise for us to, to like read that verse. Here's what it says. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And so the verse certainly teaches that there is eternal life for the one who accepts Christ. But it does not insinuate the doctrine of annihilation like the question is alluding to. And so it's important that as we're interpreting Scripture, and this is so vitally important as you read the Word and as I'm constantly challenging you to be in the Word, is that you cannot build a, 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 a life of faith on Scripture if you just pick a verse here or pick a verse there. Scripture always interprets Scripture. And so the heavier passages, we give more weight to the passages that might not shed as much light on something. And so we're always looking at a verse of Scripture and we're going, okay, what does that mean? Well, the first thing we want to do is go to other places in Scripture that deal with the same idea as we're having a question about something. And so that we're using Scripture um, to make uh, a, a good interpretation of Scripture itself. And so it simply says that the one who accepts Jesus will not perish. That's what the verse says. So we know from this verse that, um, and others that people who believe in Christ will experience eternal life. We sang about it this morning. We sang about um, there is no grave that can hold me down as the hope of, of the believer. And so uh, we know um, that, that the Bible is emphatic about uh, teaching about eternal life. But does the Bible teach, as the question states, that heaven is eternal life and hell is death or annihilation? Okay. And so that those who know Jesus, they continue to go on and they experience this incredible uh, pleasure for eternity. But those who don't know him, they're just kind of like uh, 
uh, Avengers, right? Just and those people are gone. Well, as we look at the word, I don't think it teaches that at all. The Bible teaches that heaven and hell are real places. And so when we talk about, okay, do we, you know, how do we approach hell? Do we try to ignore it? Well, we shouldn't because the Bible has a lot to say about it. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 13. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. And so as we anticipate what's coming in the future, we anticipate that there will be a recreation, a renewal of the heavens and the earth as we know them right now. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 30, it says, and if your, Jesus said this, and if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Okay, so that's what Jesus says. And furthermore, when we look into what Jesus said in John chapter 3, from where the question was asked, in that same chapter, Jesus says in verse 36 of chapter 3 of John's gospel, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Now, the last part of that verse is very important. God's wrath remains on him. One of the things that we teach in discipleship here is we talk about the importance of abiding with the Lord. You heard Corey in, during worship talking about that, abiding. As we have our relationship with him, we abide with him. We, in John chapter uh, 15, Jesus says, if you abide, you will remain in me. Well, the same word is used here. It is the Greek word meno, and it means to remain. And so what it's teaching us is that God's wrath remains. It abides. It stays. In Mark chapter 9, verse 47, Jesus said, And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And so as Jesus is teaching again about um, the doctrine of hell, we see that uh, the metaphor of the worm does not indicate the doctrine of annihilation. There is life there, God's wrath remaining there. It doesn't depart. And so we look at this and we go, okay, we're seeing a little bit of a, a picture that Jesus is giving us of the idea of hell. And then in Matthew chapter 25, verse 41, Jesus has very strong words. He says, then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So it seems to me that Jesus, no doubt, certainly taught the doctrine of hell being eternal, not annihilation. That the person is not annihilated, annihilated and goes away. Now it's difficult for us to swallow, but it certainly raises our awareness of the cost of sin and how important it is for us to be living the lives that Jesus promised that we could live, living lives of promise, lives of victory, lives where, where God is moving in our midst and other people can see, man, God is, is at work in this person's life. 
And God is at work in that church. As all of these people are coming together, we see transformation happening in their midst. And so when we look at this and we see that there is a cost of sin, we feel as though it's not fair. But fairness is not what we want. I tell my kids this all the time. They'll say, um, I want to ride by the door. I want to ride in the middle. And they say, well, no, like your sister's riding there. Well, it's not fair. I say, well, fairness is not what you want. Because we're going to get fair about this. And I paid for this vehicle. You didn't contribute anything. You need to get out and walk. <laughs> right? That's what's fair is that, that you helped me pay for this thing. And so if God gave us what was fair, he would say to all of us, you all be damned. Like, what did I do to deserve heaven? And what did you do to deserve heaven? Like, we all know we can look at our lives and say, there's a past record of sin. I have offended God. Yet in his mercy, he has decided not to be fair, but to be gracious and merciful and loving and extend to us unmerited favor. That's what we call grace. Unmer it's, it, there's nothing you can do to earn it. You just receive it because you believe in the sacrifice that Jesus uh, made on the cross. And so that's what's so beautiful about um, the cross and, and the sacrifice of Christ on it is he did not deserve it. It was not like, see, everything that we deserve was, was put on Christ and he took it. And then he imputed, if we trust him, then he imputed, he takes what's his and he puts it in us. And what is his? Righteousness. So the righteousness of Christ is how we stand justified before God because he has forgiven us of our sins. And so um, as he offers us mercy and to answer the question, why do I preach hell is eternal? Because that's what Jesus taught. That's why I teach it. Okay, any questions? Okay. Oh, oh boy. Let's see what he has. All right. Listen. Uh, so it's actually something we've discussed as a family, but um, Matthew 12, uh, 31 and 32 says, And so I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against, uh, will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the spirit, the spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to so we understand that our salvation can't be forfeited. Um, you know, we're, we're promised that. However, how, does, how do you interpret this from a standpoint of turning away from God? Or, or how, how would one potentially lose their sin? Okay. Everybody, did everybody hear that? Or do I need to, everybody got it? Those in the back, did you hear the question? Okay, everybody heard it. Good. All right, so th this has to do with the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit found in uh, Matthew chapter 12. It's a great question. It's a unfor the unforgivable sin is what we're dealing with. Un yeah, unpardonable sin. So what is that? Well, um, it is, uh, here's what I believe that means, is that the gospel, the, the good news goes out. Okay, so the, you have to, there's a whole doctrine of understanding the Holy Spirit. Well, the role of the Holy Spirit is to convict the world of sin. That's what his role is. 
to remind us of the things that Jesus taught. So he illuminates, he turns the lights on for us so that we can understand. That's why sometimes people read the Bible and they say, I don't get it. And other times people go, man, I'm in the word. I love the word. What, why does one person not get it and another person does? It is because that person has received the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is illuminating the scripture and giving them an understanding. The word has come to life for them. And so if the, the role of the spirit is um, to convict the world of sin, then what we take away from that is that the Holy Spirit convicts all men of their rebellion. Because that's what sin is, rebellion against God. And so as the Holy Spirit convicts, Jesus said this in, in the Gospel of John, no man can come to the Father unless the Father draws him unto himself. And so there is a wooing of the Holy Spirit inviting us to be part of the kingdom. And as that invitation comes out and we are invited to be part of the kingdom and we reject, that is blaspheming the Holy Spirit. As the Holy Spirit reveals truth in, to us in our lives and we reject then we're blaspheming the Holy Spirit. So as a person is invited, and specifically um, as Jesus is dealing with this, I think he's talking about the, the Pharisees, and they were rejecting even what the Spirit of God was confirming during that time. And so to me, the unforgivable sin is to not believe in Jesus as the Spirit convicts. Now you kind of ask a two-part question. Is there something a person could do to lose their salvation? Is that, did you ask that? Kind of? Yeah, I thought you did. Okay, so Hebrews chapter 6, it talks a little bit of, I think it kind of sheds some light on this. In Hebrews chapter 6, everybody tracking with me? Is this fun? You guys good? <laughs> All right. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4, well, let's start in verse 1. And he says, therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and faith in God. Instructions about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment and God permitting, we will do so. And then he says, it is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away to be brought back to repentance, because to their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. And so again, to answer the question like about salvation, here's what I believe about salvation. A person is either in Christ or they are not in Christ. How do we get in Christ? Well, the invitation is given as the Holy Spirit draws an individual. The good news of the gospel goes forth. A person hears the good news of the gospel. They're receiving it. And they're going, man, it's good news. I can be forgiven of my sin. It is a gift. It's kind of all that stuff I was just talking about. Unmerited favor is, and mercy is offered to me in the sacrificial atoning death of Jesus. And so do I place my faith and my trust in that? And, and receive it. And so if I, if I do, then I'm born again. 
Jesus said it is impossible. Again, we go back to that first verse that I was talking about in John chapter 3. For God so loved the world, he's, t- he's, he's talking to Nicodemus, and he said that if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again. So that's what it means to be born again. I trust what the Spirit is revealing to me in my heart. I, I respond to him, and I say yes to Jesus. I'm aware that I'm a sinner. Would you save me from my sin so that I can escape. What are we saving, being saved from? The wrath of God, okay, that remains on those who have not been covered by uh, the sacrificial blood of Christ. And so as we, as we do that, then we are born again, and so we have the Spirit of God. So that makes us in Christ. Now, how did we get there? How did we get there? We got there by faith. Through God's grace, we're saved by grace through faith. Faith in what? Faith in Jesus. Who is, the, uh, uh, who is Jesus? He's the second person of the Trinity. Who is the Holy Spirit? He's the third person of the Trinity. So Jesus and the Spirit are God. Okay? So I'm saved and I'm in Christ because I believe in Christ. If I don't believe in Jesus, I'm outside of Christ. Okay, so I think that a person, I, think, I do think it is possible for a person to believe and then say, I don't believe. I don't believe. I'm rejecting the faith. Okay, and I think that would be blasphemous to the Holy Spirit. And so I look and I see the doctrine. And here's, you know, here's where things get a little, a little tricky for the theologian is that the doctrine of eternal security seems to be taught in Scripture. It seems to be that, man, we are secure. We're saved. We're secure. We're marked with the Spirit. But then we also see verses like this where it says, man, it's possible to commit apostasy. And so we look at that and go, man, what do we take away from that? Well, I'm going to just walk with Jesus and not worry about it. You say, well, how, do we look at person and go, well, the old Joe over there, is he... I know he seemed like he was saved, but right now he doesn't seem like he's walking with the Lord at all. Is he not saved anymore? My answer to that question is, I don't know. That's not my decision. I'm not God. I can leave that in the hands of God. He can make that decision. He knows the heart of every believer. So I think I've answered your question. Come on, bro. What do you got? <laughs> on the same line, I mean, is it, we've all heard the stories about folks that are just getting ready to pass away and they call out. Yeah. I mean, right now, like the thief on the cross. Yeah. In a split second, we can accept for someone that's denied all their life. Is that possible? I Sure. Well, we have a classic example. There's one thief rejected, one thief right. accepted. And so, yeah, it's, that is certainly possible. They just made the right decision at the right time. Right. <laughs> it's, it's, that's not the way you want to try to play things out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay, Preston, let's see what you got, bro. You know, you talked about in the kingdom series, you see a lack of the power of the Holy Spirit in the American church. And so I want to ask you, how do you recognize the true power of the Holy Spirit both in your life and in other people? How do you recognize the movement and the power of the Holy Spirit? Okay. How do we recognize the move? Like we, so I've made the statement uh, in the series that I've been teaching is that, that the church seems to lack 
the Spirit's power in the individual. So how do we recognize um, the Spirit being at work in people? How can we know the Spirit is at work? Uh, So Jesus said, they marveled at his works. And he said, you shall do greater things than these. Okay? Jesus did some pretty amazing things. But if we look at the people who followed after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection and the day of Pentecost comes and the Spirit descends, we would have to say more work has been accomplished after Jesus has departed than while he lived and ministered for the three years um, of his ministry. His, you know, the, most scholars agree he's about 33 and started his ministry at 30, died at 33. So in that three-year period, the gospel after Jesus died, it only traveled in a really small area. Okay, the good news only was traveling in a very small area during Jesus' lifetime. But after he died, it traveled to the known world. And here we are continents away, and it's here, and we're talking about it today. So definitely greater works have been done. How do we recognize that? I think it's the same way that they recognized it in the Old Testament. I'm reminded of uh, there, there, before the Holy Spirit comes, uh, I think this is, this is a great illustration of this. Before the Holy Spirit comes, the guys are, like Jesus is intermittently appearing, okay, before Pentecost, before the day the Spirit descends down upon them. And so he's intermittently, for a 40-day period, he's, he's showing up in their lives. Uh, and so one day, like I guess that it had been a while since Jesus had shown up, and Peter's kind of the leader among the group, and he says to the guys, I'm going fishing. Amen. All right. Guess what all the other guys said? I'm going with you. Okay. And so they go out and they fish and they fish all night. They don't catch any fish. And so they're done. They're bringing in their nets and everything. It's, the sun is coming up. There's a dude on the beach. He's, he's got a fire going. He calls out to them. They don't know who it is. He says, hey, throw your net on the other side. Say, hey, man, we've been fishing all night. We had not caught anything. The bite's not good. Of course, they were fishing with nets, I know, but this makes the story more fun. And so he says, throw it on the other side. This guy thinks he knows what he's talking about. And the the net is so full they can't haul it all in. And what what does John say to Peter? It is the Lord. And what does Peter do? He jumps out of the boat and swims to shore. Okay? So they recognized it is the Lord. Okay, I think that's, we look at our lives, and I can look at things in my life, and I can say, that is the Lord right there that showed up. That is the Lord doing that in that moment. Like, I would say this, even. I was very nervous about doing this kind of a, a talk. How will this go? How, will, will anybody ask questions, you know? Um, what are we doing? Corey even said, I hope somebody asks a question, LOL. <laughs> Thank you for your vote of confidence, bro. <sighs> and so, but, but I'm looking at this and I'm going, it is the Lord. Like there's questions being asked and, and the Lord is showing up and I can look at different things in my life and see um, that it is the Lord. He, he shows up, he teaches us. So I think that's what we look for is what we can say, like when is the last time in your life, you, like we ought to be able, the Lord ought to be showing up in our lives all the time. 
We ought to be able to say that and rejoice in that. That's what the early church did. Man, they were, it's the Lord. He showed up. Now, now, we're not saying that you go and... So when I say a lack of Holy Spirit's power, I'm not saying that we go and we're raising people from the dead or we're healing people who are paralyzed. What I'm saying is that we're just living above the fray of everybody else and people are looking at our lives and going, man, that guy over there is living in such a way that his life is marked by something that I don't have. And what is it? It is the Lord. It is is the Lord working in our lives. And that's how I think we see and we can know the presence of God is there. How often are we able to say that? Okay, I will take one more, all right? Hey, Jimmy, I got a question about tithing. Question about tithing? In the Old Testament, it talks about tithing. And in the New Testament, Jesus came to basically establish a new covenant. Why does the American church worry so much about tithing or giving? Okay, so first of all... Um, Thank you for the question. <laughs> is, uh, okay, so what is a tithe? The tithe is a tenth part, the first fruits, okay? And so the, uh, often this is looked at. In the, I'm not going to be able to give you scripture references, but I'll give you enough information. You can, you can uh, search them and find them yourselves. Um, so when we get to the New Testament, things like we're not under that Old Testament law anymore. Jesus has come to fulfill it. Well, I would say a lot of it still applies, number one, because obviously we see what Jesus does in the New Testament is that, and I think people got to really be careful about this because sometimes it feels like people are kind of trying to say, well, I don't really have to tithe 10%. What you see Jesus do in the New Testament is take everything that he mentions in the law and take it here. It is written, don't divorce. I say, if you look at a woman, you've committed adultery. I'm sorry, it was adultery. And so he, he elevates it each time. He's, it is written, thou shalt not murder. I say, if you're angry with your brother. So he elevates everything. That's one. Um, the second thing is that uh, Jesus was talking to the Pharisees, and he talked about how they... Um, I think it's the part where he ta- he's talking about you, uh, you, you strain a gnat and swallow, I want to say a camel, but I don't think that's right. Is it? I heard somebody say it was right, so it must be right. <laughs> uh, so, but anyway, but, and he starts to talk about, he, he, he starts to talk about and, and you tithe and you do these things. And he says, you should also do this and not have neglected that. So he tells us to continue to do it. The, another thing um, I think that is important, why, why is it important for me to teach people to tithe? And this is, this is number one, okay? And, and we are financially, like, do we have all the money we need? No, because we have a vision that the Lord would use us to um, I reach this community in a very powerful way to teach the truth of the Word of God. But we're not in finance, like we don't have debt, okay? We're, we're not in the red. We, we operate, we're good stewards of what the Lord has entrusted to us. And so when I preach on tithing, I'm not, I'm not as a pastor trying to get more money to do more stuff. Now I would say if we had more money, we would do more stuff, okay? 
But Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I think one of the number one obstacles to spiritual growth in people's lives is money. Like it's their money. Because that's how you control things. That's their security. That's how you buy your food. That's how you clothe your family. That's how you pay the bills. So if you have a tight control on that and you're not willing to release that to the Lord, it's almost like you're saying to the Lord, I don't trust you. I don't trust you. I I may give you a token here and there, but to trust you with the you know 10% of my income, um, I, I I don't trust you. So I would teach I teach tithing as we come across it in the scripture. And I, I again I think sometimes in the American church that, that there may be too much debt and a pastor feels too much pressure that he's kind of make the bills and he could have to preach on it too much. But biblically, a pastor should be preaching on tithing. And, and one of the things I love is that we are in a position where we're not there. So when I preach on it, I'm, I'm really teaching you, listen, this is something that's important for your spiritual development and growth. It's a sacrifice that you need to bring under the lordship of Christ, and you will see the fruit of that obedience um, in your life. Okay. It's 11.05. I'm not going to take any other questions. Amen? Would y'all like that? Would you like to do some more of that in the future? Wow, I don't even have to worry about what I'm preaching next week. I'll just come back and answer questions. <laughs> okay, I'm going to invite Corey to come. Uh, this is what we're going to do. We're, as he is making his way, I'm going to invite the ushers to come as well. I wanted to do, do want to say, again, happy Memorial Day. Uh, and I hope you have a great day with your family tomorrow and, and today. And I want to pray uh, a special prayer over the offering and over people who have served and given their lives, and people who even are serving right now today and are away from us. So let's do that together. We'll receive the offering, and you'll be dismissed. And I want to also say welcome to those of you who are visiting. Uh, we are, we're blessed by your presence and hope that you enjoyed yourself and come back and, and be a part of, of our spiritual family. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www dot overlandpark dot cc